0: Hi, I'm April and I'm Steph and you're listening to The Thirst, a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture as well as dissecting some very important topics of our choosing. It's March 2023 and we're here with Under Review, an opportunity for us to talk about some recent releases in film, TV and
1: music that have piqued our interest. This episode we're discussing season one of The Last of Us, HBO's post-apocalyptic drama series starring Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, and Brandon Cronenberg's visceral X-rated sci-fi horror film Infinity Pool. And don't forget, these will be spoilerific discussions, so um, only listen if you have seen either or both of them, um, but we will include timestamps in the episode show notes should you wish to skip anything. So, April, I thought I'd introduce uh, something new to the beginning of the episode before we kind of... Yeah, just, you know, just shaking things up a bit before we go into our kind of main discussion because we don't do our little news segment anymore because it was probably running for an hour in and of itself.
0: It was like partially half an episode of news that by the time the episodes had come out was primarily out of date.
1: Mostly out of date. And then sometimes you'd have loads of news and you wanted to cover all of it. And then sometimes there would just be a severe drought and we'd be desperately scrambling
0: Do you remember that period where there was literally no news because nobody was doing anything? Yes. Ah,
1: yes. The COVID news cycle. That was great Great. fun. When we were literally talking about what celebrities were doing at home. Love that. That wasn't fun. But I do miss kind of talking a little bit about what has been happening in pop culture or what in pop culture has been on our minds at the time of recording. So I thought I would ask, uh, what pop culture has been on your mind Well, um, the only
0: thing that has been occupying my mind. I wonder what it is. Um, is the return of succession which uh, we're recording this on the 26th of march and it's back tonight Um, so i've really been thinking an awful lot about succession the final season season four is upon the horizon um so yeah that and just the press tour which i've simultaneously been loving and loathing
1: yeah that's fair there's a it's sort of reality and fiction is sort of bleeding into one another here isn't it
0: yeah, in a sort of simultaneously a fun way and also in a really irritating way um, and potentially in a way that I won't miss, but then I will obviously miss it. You'll so yeah, that's just where I've been it. at really. Just thinking an awful lot about how much I love Succession,
1: how I'm going to miss it, all of that. Can you um, elaborate a bit on how you've been preparing yourself to avoid spoilers? Because you, you were, you've, you've, po- you've literally posted instructions in our Succession group chat.
0: Yeah, but that's because there's 20 people. So we have a succession group chat, which I set up uh, at the start of season three, uh, mostly because I'd managed to successfully bully everyone I know into watching the previous two seasons in prep for three. So I was like, great. I threw it out there who would be interested in a succession group chat. And surprisingly, an awful lot of people were quite keen. So it was a lovely experience during the last season to have a space to talk about succession with people we know. Um, discuss theories, you know, things that had happened, where we thought the show was going to go. So, yeah, it was good. And then ahead of season four, um, a few new people have been added. But I'm just very paranoid that someone is going to ruin it for me. Mostly because obviously it airs Sunday night on HBO in the States and then we get it in the UK the following Monday. I'm not staying up until 2am to watch it on sky because i actually unfortunately have to go to work tomorrow um so i will be watching it tomorrow evening but i just don't want anyone to take away the sheer joy of experiencing an episode and obviously i'm going to be avoiding things like twitter where possible but we because we have this group chat i just very had to lightly remind everyone about the rules and regulations but there is no way of doing that without coming across like some sort of like Logan Roy-esque dictator (laughs) but I just think people need to there's a code of conduct and I don't want to have to kick people out because they're being a pain
1: imagine if we all fall out with each other because no one's behaving in the group chat that would be Well, this is the thing
0: this is the thing is that I feel like all of us are looking forward to this and because it is the final season this is the last opportunity we're going to have to like you know get those scraps of joy in the form of an episode so I just had to politely remind people that if they can't check the group chat and expect not to see spoilers and that's myself included you
1: know like oh yeah absolutely you're gonna heads will roll if that happens i, I would not yeah. want to be the person that ruins it for you trust me
0: no exactly which is why i will be avoiding my own group chat until i've actually seen the episode because yes. the whole purpose is i want to be able to discuss it and if we're trying to get like 20 people to liaise with, they've all seen the episode it feels like logistically it's not going to work and therefore it isn't fun you know
1: yeah totally i um uh yeah i i appreciate it and uh we it's a military operation sometimes these things especially when you're out there on the internet so it's just unwieldy there's just so many of us that are
0: obsessed with succession now that yes um, yeah and and the other thing that i've been enjoying as well just just finally on succession is um our friend mike Munzer um and anna have got a new podcast which i will shout out because i have enjoyed listening to the first sort of few episodes which have been like a pre season four build-up it's called mm. the succession easters um and they're going to be doing weekly episodes where they discuss the each episode as it appears
1: um so that'll be fun that will be great everyone should listen to that if they're a succession fan because anna and mike are brilliant and i can't wait to catch up with their episodes uh their podcast episodes after each succession episode so that'll be fun won't it Um,
0: What about you? What has been on your mind this week, uh, pop culture wise?
1: Well, there's a lot of stuff coming at us fast at the moment. I mean, like you say, we've this Sunday and we woke up to like Harry Styles flagrant me making out with Emily Ratajkowski, which uh, she looks suspiciously like Kendall Jenner. So she does, doesn't she? I always think that that they have very similar faces. Um, bad news about Jonathan Majors. There's just too much going on for a Sunday, really, at the moment. Um, it's quite overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Twitter has been awash with clips of Gwyneth Paltrow's testimony this week <laughs> for her ski crash, which I have found quite fascinating because it just seems like these legal proceedings have been specifically mapped out, scripted for Twitter memification. Like, what? why is everyone talking about shoes and outfits and isn't Tony it Swift weird and yeah it's totally totally mad It's it, it's like at such a farce it's crazy
0: i'd sort of managed to avoid uh reading a huge amount about it and then obviously because i went on twitter i then had to sort of like retroactively
1: go back and figure out why exactly she was in court and what was happening because she crashed into someone is is like the grand summary of that but yeah um, she has such a smug face about it that i just yeah this is my feeling too i just don't trust her too smug too smug <laughs> too smug but it's literally someone in that trial is outright lying because they're both saying they skied into it, e- like the other one skied into them. So who is lying? Someone is making the whole thing up.
0: The thing for me is it made me realise that, like, I think skiing's absolute nonsense. Yes, um, and just such a no offence to anyone who does enjoy skiing, but I think it's all such our an, skiing
1: fans are going to be like oh, absolutely the, not. The now.
0: skiing demographic are going to be livid. But it's, oh. such a, it's such
1: a rich person sport. It is it is quite, yeah, so it makes sense. Uh yeah, my, my money's on um it being Gwyneth's fault just based on the smug face. So I have been thinking about that a little bit. Um and then also I've been very excited because I'm watching season two of Shadow and Bone, which Ooh, I love. lovely. Yes, I'm very happy. Um I love the characters and that world and I think it's put together so well. So I've been enjoying that very much, and of course, preparing myself accordingly for season four of Succession, um, and making sure I mute the group chat. Just mute it.
0: Just mute it, and then you'll be fine. That's that's essentially what I wrote this morning. I just happened to write like 15,000 words about it, as opposed to going, just mute it.
1: (laughs) It was a very long post, but I really did appreciate it. It was great. So, this episode, under review, we are going to cover some TV and some film. Uh we have both watched season one of The Last of Us, so I guess we'll start there, really. Um do you wanna give a bit of an intro to The Last of Us April? Yes, of course. Um I've just read
0: this back and um I did edit it down, but uh, I just there's no way of me launching into it without it sounding like very Wikipedia y. So oh, I'm just gonna do it. Big so.
1: Google, love it. The Last of Us
0: is uh, an American post-apocalyptic drama series uh, created by Craig Bazin and Neil Druckmann. Um, It's based on the 2013 video game, which was developed by Naughty Dog. um, And the series is set in 2023, 20 years into a pandemic caused by a mass fungal infection. Sorry. That sounds hilarious, doesn't it, when it's worded like that?
1: It does sound a little bit like we just need a big tube of caniston and we'll be okay.
0: Everyone's got athlete's foot and it's just something <laughs> bonkers.
1: So this crazy
0: fungus has um, caused... Crazy host... fungus! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mega mushrooms. Mega mushrooms. So it causes its host to transform into zombie-like creatures the series follows joel who's played by pedro pascal who's a smuggler living in a collapsed society who is tasked with escorting teenager ellie who's played by bella ramsey across the united states Um, so as well as pedro pascal and bella ramsey the show also stars nico parker mel dandridge Torv, gabriel luna lamar johnson and melanie linsky um the show itself premiered on hbo on january the 15th of this year and has been a, a sort of um just a mega smash hit really um across all of the hbo channels and hbo max everything on demand the series premiere was watched by 4.7 million viewers on the first day which is the second biggest for hbo wow. since 2010 And then almost 40 million people have watched it within the first two months. By March, the first six episodes averaged over 30 million viewers, which is kind of insane. It's absolutely unhinged. So at the end of January 2023, after only a few episodes, the series was renewed for a second season. If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on?
1: You haven't seen the world. So, you don't know. You keep going for family.
0: I'm not family.
1: No. Your cargo.
0: Our expectations going in, did you know a huge amount about the game beforehand? And how were you sort of feeling ahead of the show's uh, launch?
1: Um, I knew almost nothing <laughs> but, uh, about the game, uh, but gaming is, I'm so blinkered about gaming, I have, I'm have i so unaware of it, apart from like, off. no, like, House of the Dead, I don't know, apart from Driver, uh, Driver, no, drive's the film, Driver, I don't know, I literally, <laughs> like, Sonic, I'm not sure. Sonic, yeah, that's my game' reference. I don't, this is this is all I know, like, Nintendo yeah. Wii, um, <laughs> you can do some dance stuff, I, I literally know nothing about gaming. And so I'm also, I'm dimly aware of the ways that storytelling through games has kind of ballooned in recent years. And that's through work because games writing is a huge thing now. And I think the creators have really achieved some amazing things. So, you know, storytelling in games is a craft in and of itself. Absolutely. Um, But I didn't personally know about the last of us's impact. I did not know that the last of us existed. Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of heard murmurs about this show coming up. And initially I felt like, mm, not another zombie virus show. Like we do not need any more of this post-pandemic or post-Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. There are, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but there are so many horror adjacent shows out there currently. And especially sort of dystopian post-apocalyptic stuff. I was just like, mm-hmm. it's just another one of those. Yeah. Um, And I was a little bit nervous that this was based on the mutated strain of an actual real life pathogen. So cordyceps fungus is real and it affects insects. So I was like, I really don't need to see anything about any kind of animal or insect related <laughs>
0: pandemic sweeping the (laughs)
1: world I can't take anything depressing anymore um but people were really really bigging this up and as the kind of premiere was coming into view people were really rating it so I felt like absolutely had to give it a chance um Craig Mazin did such a great job of Chernobyl as well so that kind of ticked a box and at the end of the day I came for Pedro I stay for Pedro um and Bella uh yeah so that was kind of why I ended up giving it a chance I guess or wanting to to see I was like I'll see what the cu- first couple of episodes do um how about you
0: Yeah I was really similar I suppose I did actually know of its existence but I hadn't played it um neither of us are really gamers are we so I no. think the the familiarity I had, had with it was primarily um because I'd heard a lot about its cinematic qualities both from a narrative point of view and a visual point of view. That said, I was sort of a sceptical when the adaptation was announced, mostly because video game to screen transitions are sort of notorious.
1: They're cursed. For, um, being They're very bad. cursed, April. Yeah, <laughs> Cursed <laughs> adaptations.
0: Yeah, you can sort of probably count on one hand any of them that are actually in any way uh, viewable, I would say. I was intrigued by the casting. I'd seen lots of discussion over the years about sort of who would make a good Joel. There were lots of names thrown around, people like Josh Brolin, Hugh Jackman, uh, Costa Waldau from Game of Thrones. But obviously I was thrilled when it was Pedro Pascal who was announced, Um, love Pedro. Very much a historic infatuation, I think, for the both of us. Really liked him in Narcos and a variety of other things that he's been in. So you know, any excuse to watch a Pedro program, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and um, literally any. I will. I, I really will just give it a try for him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I sort of figured I would watch it out of intrigue, really, because it was being billed as like HBO's next big program after Christmas. But it definitely took me a while to get to it. I didn't um, watch it when it you know, first aired, I had to sort of catch up with it later and I've now um, binged the majority of the episodes. So yeah, that's how I was sort of feeling ahead of it. Um, So what was your kind of general feeling towards the show, your general
1: reactions now it's aired in full? So I've been watching it week by week. I mean, is I had a good time with it? Accurate? Can you have a good time with it? I'm not sure. But... The first episode, I enjoyed it, but you could really tell that the show runners needed to sort of lead with some action. So mm-hmm. it felt, I guess, a bit more kind of not not generic, but kind of expected as, like, you know, it's kind of a Walking Dead opening, maybe a bit more. So yeah. I wasn't it didn't leave me skeptical, but I just thought, oh, well, you know, that was good television. That was entertaining, sort of fairly action-driven television and the, the kind of there was a slightly different spin on this idea of sort of infection because it was with the cordyceps um rather than thank god some sort of um cold or flu so i was kind of i was enjoying it to begin with And wanted to kind of give it a chance and stick with it, especially because um, Pedro and Bella as the leads seemed um, really intriguing. I can't Mm -hmm. comment on the faithfulness to the game, as we say. um, but I think the sort of collective decision and they've obviously chosen this game because of the strength of its storytelling and the relationship between Joel and Ellie. And I think that does succeed in bringing something really refreshing to the table with this show. So yeah. the the infected are very much the kind of backdrop here. And the violence that you see is mostly concerned with um the uninfected and the ways in which they're trying to survive. So um, it kind of does take a bit of a new spin on something that we're kind of we're used to seeing on TV and that's had a bit of a moment over the years on television. Um, I think it made me feel quite emotional at times, especially the father-daughter kind of surrogate bond between Joel and Ellie. Um, it's not necessarily something I've seen as much on TV before, and I really enjoyed seeing the chemistry between the cast and crew offset too. That mm-hmm. seemed really lovely. So I think it has. A really strong story and and an emotional weight, which really washes its own face, I guess. I had a really good time with it. It didn't, it was really nice to watch it kind of episodically, watch it every week. And it was something that I definitely looked forward to. I don't know whether it blew my mind necessarily. I don't think it blew my mind necessarily. But I thought, actually, you know, there's some stuff here that's really refreshing, feels quite different. um, And it's definitely got some excellent performances um, and a strong story. How did you feel? Because you have you watched it all yet? Or are you almost done? No, I finished it. I finished
0: it last night. Um, It's interesting, really, because I completely agree. I think despite my lack of like game based knowledge, I've really enjoyed it. Um, It's been interesting watching
1: like a lot of episodes back to mm, back because you've done the different the different experience to me. I've literally been doing it every week and you did it kind of you did a binge.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even that it was intentional, really. I just sort of got behind and then I figured, actually, I think I'll just wait until it's finished and I'll just catch up. I, I had primarily gotten into a rhythm of watching at least two at a time, mm. um, mostly because of the intensity of the episode sometimes. Um, I just felt like I couldn't really sit and do like a lot of it at once. Yeah, um, I think I was really mindful. Like you say, I didn't really want to endure another like pandemic type show. Absolutely not but i was kind of intrigued with the lore of this um like you referred to the fact that obviously it's it's rooted in like a a real world pathogen mm. um my brain has definitely gone towards the walking dead at times of um, course but only to make very lazy comparisons and to hope that The Last of Us doesn't go the same route of that, i.e. Like, <laughs> too many seasons, spin-offs. I think I also have recency bias because it, it, in the last year I have watched an awful lot of The Walking Dead.
1: Yeah, and that was the other big show, right? It's, yeah, it is, absolutely. It's, it is like the sibling to this show in that they're the two massive... You know, there's been lots of other shows on a similar subject, but, mm. you know, for example, Station Eleven is nowhere near yeah, the same yeah. kind of... These are going to be like the two massive hits that like a very broad audience are going to watch so i think it's fair to draw some parallels it just feels inevitable
0: doesn't Mm. it i mean i think a a large chunk of my enjoyment definitely has been tied to pedro pascal and bella ramsey and their dynamic i feel like ellie has the potential as a character to be really annoying but (laughs) i've loved bella's performance because i think she manages to balance like the irritating qualities with an understanding of why she is the way she is and I do think Ellie is a complex character in that regard so Mm. it's I've really been quite fascinated by what she's like as a character versus what Joel's like as a character because I feel Mm. like they balance each other off because obviously Joel for a lot of good reasons is a very strong silent type very task-oriented, not in particularly emotionally giving person, Mm -hmm. particularly in the earlier episodes, Mm -hmm. whereas Ellie is just like absolute chatterbox, you know, testing his limits, doing all this stuff. And I just think that watching their dynamic and their relationship in the show evolve has just been really wonderful, and that's definitely one of the things that's kept me going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It kind of... It's all pinned on them, isn't it? Especially because... I mean you know, the entire narrative drive kind of focuses around them, but also because if you're if if you're there for the for the quote unquote zombies, mm-hmm. you're not gonna get a lot of them so um and
0: this is this is one of the things I've really liked actually, is that their relationship is obviously the at the forefront and is at the focus, and them as characters, they're the focal point as opposed to the all of the other kind of like horrific stuff that is mm-hmm. obviously happening in the background, including like the infected like they're there but and as we'll come on to but they're they're, they're present but they're not like they're at the forefront of every episode like I think they often are in The Walking Dead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so from a genre point of view um, I feel like as you touched upon both of us were feeling slightly apprehensive about the idea of another show like this but is it would you say it was just another post-apocalyptic story or is it doing anything different?
1: I think it is doing something different. Um, It's not I've got to say, it's not my... Like, generally speaking, this wouldn't be my favourite subgenre. Um, no. And during COVID and kind of merging from COVID, it has been amazing to see how many shows and films and books kind of share this theme. Um, and actually, a lot of those existed before our own pandemic surfaced, which mm-hmm. kind of, I think, speaks to our probably general anticipation of something like this happening <laughs> at yeah, some point. absolutely, absolutely. And for me i've mentioned it a couple of times like station 11 was a show i didn't finish the walking dead i got Mm -hmm. to a point and i'd really enjoyed the first few seasons and then i was like okay this is literally just doing the same thing over and over again now like as as someone that binged a
0: lot of it i will say it's it's so repetitive it's really repetitive back
1: back yeah yeah i just lost momentum with it completely um but Station Eleven was something I watched last year, um, and that was the first proper kind of this is set in a post-pandemic, post-apocalyptic world, but it's not actually about this kind of show. Yeah. And so I was, ho- yeah, I was hoping that this show would be more in that vein and not the kind of Walking Dead vein. Um, and it definitely has that vibe. And like, as, as you've kind of alluded to. Um, Craig Mazin, who's one of the showrunners, has spoken about how the show shows interest in um, outward love and inward love and the people who want to make everybody better and the people who want to protect particular people at any cost. And I think it's really interesting to frame this as a show about love, as it really is in a lot of respects. And I think in our own lives and as a society, we're at a point where a Clearly, society doesn't, or the powers that be, really don't want to ref- reflect on the practicalities of what went wrong for the past mm-hmm. few years. But I think we've all reflected on what was most important to us at a time of yes. crisis, um, yeah, and I think this show reflects that really well. There are show, there are other, you know, things out there shows that exist that have done a slightly similar job. So it's not totally breaking the mold, but mm-hmm. I do think it is probably the first show that's going to appeal to, or is appealing to a much larger, broader audience. And it's going to be the first time, actually, that they do see um, shows of this genre reframed in that way. Even having the the kind of, I'm sure we'll talk about it, that bottle episode, episode three, but I've seen a few shows that have done that before within... Um, I mean, if you want to place this kind of loosely in the horror genre, I've definitely seen episodes in the horror genre of that. I've done that before, but for a lot of people, this will be the first time they see like a, a device like that used. So yeah. I think it's not just another story. I think it's it is much more than that. What about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I sort of felt that it was an interesting take. I do think that you're right. I feel like everything. Inevitably, it reads differently post-COVID, when we have actually experienced the pitfalls of a pandemic firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening episode in particular, and the, uh, the very opening of the first episode with the talk show section, mm-hmm. where the scientist is talking about, you know, mushrooms and fungus and actually what could be on the horizon
1: was that a bit too close to home (laughs) it was yeah
0: it really really was but i but that was one of the things that really kind of got me going with the show actually because i was going like oh okay yeah i mean this is very much hitting too close to home along with the part in episode two in indonesia which charts the spread of the disease and how the workers in a flour factory were affected did it spread via bread it, it, you know, it just leads you to think about like inevitable real world comparisons. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I think, from my point of view, despite the fact that I'm always approaching any kind of like quote unquote COVID content with apprehension, it sort of felt um, it sort of felt different and new compared to the rest of the kind of wider genre if only because it was mushrooms like yes, that sounds reductive I know. it wasn't an influenza
1: hooray yeah it's
0: always like an influenza or it's like you know an unknown entity that people die and are brought back to life or they're bitten and you know go feral and things like that so
1: it is a wholly different bit be- i mean literally a wholly different beast isn't it, it the yeah. whole the whole thing interacts differently with people yeah. and there is a slightly different outcome as you say and it's kind of I it's enough that it's Different enough to not feel icky to watch Mm. in our current state and also different enough to kind of, yeah, separate itself from all the other infected shows.
0: Yeah, I think I've done a lot of thinking about whether that's definitely a result of like having lived through a pandemic and actually viewing things differently or whether it is that the show itself is different. I think there's a lot that you could do there with debating.
1: I think both can be true as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's
0: interesting, isn't it? Structure and pacing wise, so it's a nine-episode season arc, which I'm not really sure why it's nine episodes. Um, eight or ten would have been preferable, I think. Perhaps but, <laughs> it just um, doesn't. You
1: just don't want to land on an uneven number, I think, do you? I
0: watched the finale last night, and uh, we finished it, and um, it was like, oh, is that is that definitely the finale? Because that's episode nine. I was like, yeah, yeah, no, it definitely is. Yeah, and
1: it doesn't finish in the way that we'd ex- we are. We, I don't know. We're conditioned to expect a finale to be like (laughs) it usually goes out with a bang and this is quite quiet isn't it in terms of its kind of close.
0: yeah definitely so have you got any feelings about kind of the way that the show itself was structured the pacing you know the episodic nature of it all
1: yeah as well as the the kind of characterization um and the performances i think this is one of the strongest parts of this show i think as we have said uh, a show can kind of lose momentum and interest quite quickly if it's basically attack kill fight, run, repeat. And that kind of uh, formula definitely falls to the wayside after that first episode, which I guess they really, as a sort of pilot or premiere, really have to sort of hit people over the head a bit more with it. Mm. And again, I don't know much about the show, but I know that the structure of the game sort of allows players to move from area to area and each area has its own cast of characters and sort of ways of living. Um, So you've got these almost like self-contained communities or worlds and Ellie and Joel are moving through them and the show kind of replicates that and it took me a little while to adjust to this it's almost like a one episode story arc outside of Joel and Ellie you...
0: yeah i mean it's the the task oriented nature of the episodes I feel like inevitably makes it feel really video gamey, which is obviously like a silly thing to say when it's based on a video game. But it is very much like we have to go to this place. We need to find this person. We've gone to this location and now we're meeting these people. And then the outcome is that we need to do this. Yes. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but I feel like it's just something. It feels different though, doesn't it? Yeah, I was definitely more aware of it than usual. And I think that it's it, it feels like video game playthrough in that sense. Because I think the minute I realised like, oh yeah, it, the pacing of these episodes or the way that it's structured is very similar to the the playthrough I've seen of other games where it's mm-hmm. like, yes, the task in this section is that you have to go there and get this and you're going to meet these people and they're the good people. So you have to save them, but they're the bad people. So you get rid of those. Like it's just very, the play it's there's like a playthrough element there. So yes. I'm, I'm, I find it fascinating
1: that you also picked up on that as well. Totally. And it can it's it's a new way of viewing for me in particular as you sort of alluded to. And I think it can run the risk of feeling like we spend two minutes with someone new or someone mm-hmm. interesting only to leave them, but I kind of got into the rhythm of it and also because the performances by Bella and Pedro are so good. Yeah. That is kind of like, okay, great. You know, we, we are with them and we are getting to know them intimately, even if we're yes. not getting to know anyone else that intimately at all. Um, And it does give you this sense of kind of, you get a window into how a person or a group of people are sort of trying to live their lives after this horrible thing. Well, whilst this horrible thing is happening. Um, so, and you see different, you just see different ways that humanity tries to adapt. So you've got people who are trying to emulate what they had before. You've got Mm -hmm. people who want to do something new and you get people who want to take advantage. Um, And then as you say, after each task, it's almost like that group gets torn to pieces by external forces often human um not always called and then it kind of moves on to another snapshot or window into that kind of world so i did get into it but it took me a little bit and then as i said we do have this standalone arc in episode three with bill and frank i would personally credit castle rock and the queen for turning i mean everyone's gonna say i'm wrong but i think that turned the idea of a kind of bottle episode within this within genre in particular on its head that was the first significant time I saw this done so it was nice to see that used again um and I think that episode alone was obviously a very powerful piece of storytelling and um will be a first again of that style for many viewers. The the pe- slight pessimist in me hopes that this structure isn't just duplicated as a formula for all shows now because yeah, I feel like it yeah. could lose maybe I'm being too skeptical there, but I just it would lose its impact if every show that HBO puts out now is like we need to have a bottle episode. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no I do. I do. I think that
0: that episode in particular is really well executed and it did take me having Having not watched it in real time, that Mm. episode in particular had been hyped into oblivion. And I don't think it was as it didn't was wasn't as impactful on me as it could have been. I think Mm. mostly because by the time I got to it, I'd had it largely ruined for me by the internet. And that's on me. You know, that's just that's one of the inevitable downsides about sort of playing catch up. But it Mm. was brilliant in structure and actually like it, you know, to use video game Terminology—it's very like side questy, you know. Mm. Like it's a sort yeah. of like main characters aren't present. They do drop in and out. You know, Joel's present there, and um, so is Tess briefly in the beginning. So, you know, but it's—it's it's not the—they're not the main focus. Um, yes, but I think it would be a shame if other shows just try to really emulate that structure, particularly going forward because i feel like it would just then feel like a bit of a carbon copy yes you got it an, you got it an awful lot post sopranos and things like that yes, as ah, well the classic
1: where, bottleneck yeah
0: yeah i think the only thing i would add just with regards to the structure and pacing and it's probably something that we might elaborate on a little bit more but um I almost at times felt like because each episode was so task-oriented and streamlined in a good way, I often felt that I needed a bit more context and backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because the season opens with that like 1960s, 70s news yeah. chat show bit where you're sort of given this, you know, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this happens? That's obviously not what they say, but you know, that sort of <laughs> yeah. thing. I just wish there was a little bit more backstory and context throughout I mean you get little scraps do you mean of to it. the
1: cordyceps and how all of that happened yeah yeah, yeah because yeah.
0: I think I was asking things like oh okay are animals affected because like Bill and Frank for example in their episodes seem to be still eating meat and deer and mm-hmm. things that they were hunting and then there's an episode where someone catches rabbits and things like that so it's like oh okay so animals weren't affected and it's fine to eat them and
1: that's a really good point actually if sometimes yeah not you don't always need full context but at actually, if there are, if, if, if this, like, if your viewing experience is raising some questions, then maybe you do need a little more context. I didn't,
0: it's not like I needed, like, full Basil exposition level, (laughs) someone explaining things to me, but just little things like, oh, if there are some old newspapers knocking around that, like, Ellie might come across so she Mm -hmm. could, like, read a headline or, you know, like, things like that, I think. Um, And I understand that, like, this all escalated at such a rate where, there may not be any footprint of what was going on, mm-hmm. um but also, I just think it sometimes it would have been quite helpful why like why it was okay for them to be like hanging out with a horse, yeah, and then, like not be freaked out that they'd seen some monkeys, you know what I mean, like zoo
1: animals absolutely fine can confirm
0: um so we've talked a lot about Pedro being brilliant um can we do a little bit more though? <laughs> Can do, absolutely so let's move on to performances on that front um i just love
1: him yeah can i think we need to get it out of our system a little bit i'm just gonna have to do it um he's so hot in this it's it's just like stinking it's all i just can. i think this is the hottest he's been like ever
0: I think I found fascinating, though, is that it's not like he's not been doing anything. The man's in The Mandalorian. The man is everywhere. So I've just sort of found this, like, mass social media. Twitter has discovered him, right? Yeah, it's really odd. And I feel like, I I don't want to be that, like, person that's like, but, guys, I liked him for a while. But it's, like, literally the minute Narcos came out...
1: Like and yeah. I was even in Game
0: of Thrones briefly before that. Oh, so 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 hot like, in guys, Game of Thrones.
1: Come on. Like it's, it's so funny the way that trajectory happens, isn't it? Like there is it's no way of predicting when <laughs> when the internet is gonna take off with someone.
0: Isn't it funny?
1: And he must be just like mind-boggling as well. Like, hi, I've been <laughs> the Mandalorian for how many seasons you've only just twigs, like, and it suddenly just exploded. In this, like, he's just like he's daddy everywhere. Harvey from everywhere. Narcos. Come on, come on. He's iconic, but he's is, he's is so hot. It is awful. I can barely deal with it. I can bear. I honestly can barely deal with it.
0: Just a delight. I and mean, he is great in this. He is he is genuinely very brilliant in it. It's not that he's just oh. hot and that's it. There are some genuine moments in the show. Um, particularly for me, the episode where he's reunited with his brother. Um, oh yeah Wyoming and he's having that conversation with Tommy about just how he's feeling and you know what he wants to do going forward and and then as as his relationship develops with with Ellie as well like there's
1: just like very very good acting from him on this
0: part as he's well.
1: absolutely fantastic like Pedro is Joel and sort of Joel's character it's amazing to see Pedro disappear into a character. I mean, he, obviously we know that he can do it, but it is always amazing to see him disappear into a character that can be like very cold and cruel because you know mm-hmm. it's so it's so at odds with how he is in real life. And he's playing, as you say, this, this person who's so hardened by the traumatic loss of his daughter. It doesn't even seem like, oh, you know, it's a hard shell, but underneath, like he is just... There's well, had 20 hardened. years of
0: this hasn't he's like finalized
1: <laughs> with hatred he is cold and yeah 20 years of it as you say and he kind of at first has this obligation towards ellie and it does feel pretty transactional and cold then he has this this evolving protectiveness and then it is a love that is so real is actually painful to watch the kind of the acts of violence he commits towards the end which are completely justified without question for him Mm -hmm. in order to protect her just killed me like it i it's been a while since i've seen that kind of parent-child relationship on screen especially when it's a you know it is a sort of surrogate parent-child relationship or it's a kind of i don't know non-biological relationship or whatever it's quite a new relationship yeah it's so like i felt it so tangibly it felt very Um, well realized yeah i was almost shocked to see how tender he is towards her it's a fan it's absolutely fantastic
0: it is isn't it particularly because he does go between like having a sort of appearing to have like a level of resentment about her presence just because he sort of you know has been tasked with having to do this thing which wasn't even necessarily his idea to sort of actually realizing like oh shit like he genuinely cares about her so much and doesn't want any harm to befall her, and will do anything to make sure oh, that he'll she's okay.
1: Like take out an entire building of people, shoot them in the face point blank for her. Absolutely no question or hesitation. And that was pretty, sh- I mean, amazing, but pretty shocking. You know, just goes yeah, to yeah. show what people will do to protect one another when they love each other. So it got, all comes back around. It's a show about love. Um, and the the other thing I really liked. There's a really good New Yorker piece where Mazin and Drugman talk about how Joel's physical condition, how they deliberately didn't want him to be like a very like a mortal basically, like a, just a yeah, very yeah. strong agile guy. He's kind of he is aging. Um I hate using the term middle age. Pe- Pe- he Pedro always refers to himself as middle age. I'm like, "Dude, you're in your 40s." Like, I mean, I guess that is well, probably Joel's- technically
0: but Joel's supposed to be 56.
1: 56. Isn't he? He's supposed to be 56, older. So I guess I he is middle aged. You're right. But he's, but he's got, worn down by the world. Right. And he's got literal, like a literal hearing problem. He's got like knee pain. He's kind of, but he's still, it's like the absolute force of, um, it's that intent, isn't it? It's he's yeah. got that intent and he's driven to do what he needs to do. And that is almost where he gets his super strength. So amazing. He's just the best and gorgeous. Mwah.
0: He's just he's just brilliant. Um I've also really warmed to Bella Ramsey as well.
1: I love them and as you I think there's as you said there's a kind of I don't know, a, yeah, it it would be very easy for this character Ellie to be irritating. And Well,
0: I I think a little bit about um the Princess Leia young Princess Leia mm-hmm. in Obi-Wan um which sort of killed the momentum of the show to me that's not to say that she wasn't good in it but you Mm. know when a child actor or like a child character can sort of just take you out a little bit
1: children are annoying april it can go wrong sometimes it really can but i feel like bella is just wonderful in this Uh, role just what a star and it's being able to balance those dual aspects of um ellie being someone who had to Well, who had to harden herself because she's grown Mm -hmm. up without someone to care for her. And she's lost pretty much anyone she's ever dared to love. And she's had to do some pretty awful things and make hard decisions at a very young age. But Mm -hmm. she's also still a kid. So she has those really childlike slash sometimes irritating qualities.
0: Well, that's what I mean about that balance between like she can be so annoying, but actually... But what a well-rounded character.
1: Yeah. Yeah. God, their chemistry together absolutely fantastic love them to death um yeah also shout out melina linsky i'm so sad we didn't get more of her
0: i know but, but wasn't it lovely when I she love popped her. up i felt the same about um anna torv who oh, was yeah. playing tess oh. that you know just like i i don't think i'd realized that anna torv was in the show so when i was watching those first few episodes i was like oh shit like yeah i loved either. her in mind hunter mm. been waiting to see her in something else um you know, obviously, we've talked at length about the Murray Bartlett and Nick Hoffman episode, which I think is great. But yeah, Melanie Linsky's is a good shout as oh, well because I, I just love her so much. sort of playing playing against type as well because she's yes. usually so nice.
1: Really I feel like Yellow Jackets against... yeah. has
0: pr- paved the way for her into sort of going in a new direction.
1: She's like an absolute badass, isn't she? Takes no prisoners. Um, talking about performances, how do you feel about the quote
0: unquote monsters of the show? <laughs> Uh, the the clickers,
1: <laughs> Be- the clicker the beautiful performances. Um, I really like them. So the HBO gave this series. I mean, not just for the monsters, but they gave this series a budget that exceeds each of the first five seasons of Game of Thrones. Like, isn't that mad? The amount of money in this is fucking unreal. Thank God it's had the reaction it's had from a financial standpoint. But um their presence is very sparse. Which I like. Which I like. Um I have a slight worry, as I'm sure you probably do, that we it we will lean more into the walking deadness in season two. Mm. I'm worried that the bigwigs are gonna be like, yo, we need a bit more clicker <laughs> and less like sad faces at each other. We'll see. Yeah but the monsters themselves and the way they move and their their lore their mythos they they have this weird beautiful quality it's kind of like alex garland's annihilation like yes, it's a bit gargoyles yes exactly yeah that's what i was thinking of a lot i mean nature's pretty like it or not it does nature does a very good job of making things look pretty even when they're monstrous so i really like the way they're put together um and the way they kind of evolve over time Um, And kind of mutate, and I really like the way that there's different types you can get. It's so different to classic zombie, like you've you're just faced with a wall of thousands of undead. Well, this
0: is this was my feeling is that it's like not really like anything that we've seen in zombie type programming or films before, which I think definitely helps, and I think also makes them is why, from my perspective anyway, they were just like genuinely unsettling.
1: Like that noise is like upsetting, very creepy you don't know because we don't know, well you know we don't know much about them yet as viewers but that it sounds like they can basically you know they can constantly evolve there's so many different types so you just you cannot predict what they're going to do um so they're unpredictable they they're quite some of them are very fast and then some again you just don't know what you're going to get when you turn well, this the corner
0: this is the thing like i felt like they are a genuinely interesting construct particularly down to the the fact that there's like a hive mind element because they're sort of connected so there's this whole you know like you don't want to make a huge amount of noise because if they're there then actually they could then pull in like loads of others like yeah it's just interesting to sort of think about the sprawling nature of them because they are rooted in nature um and that just
1: feels interesting it really does it really does um and again i mentioned i'll put the new yorker piece in the show notes or whatever because i just found it quite fascinating to read a bit about sort of the process behind what they were they were doing and I, i'm sure they said they cut this did they cut it i can't remember you've watched it more recently so there's something they were saying there was a scene where like one of the clickers basically gets like sunlight on its face or like like the sunlight and the wind basically and it has this moment where it kind of like recognizes like the warmth of sunshine and there's like a not entirely monstrous element to it there's like a bit Mm -hmm. of humanity there where it's like enjoying the warmth and the breeze and the kind of it's got like a humane element to it which i thought was really fascinating um because as you say that well they were a once people but there is also something very you know they're very organic and they're in tune with the kind of the natural world around them so i think they're very cool
0: in they short. are
1: genuinely i think that's probably why i've also found it sort of i don't know
0: so engaging and why they why it feels different in a in a sense from other you know post-apocalyptic genre programs that we've um, been saying just because they are used so sparingly and was,
1: the possibilities are endless really it's aren't just they? fascinating
0: isn't it yeah. yeah it could go in any
1: direction um is there anything else then just sort of as a little wrap up no, I really, I just, I had a really good time with it. I really enjoyed it. I loved the performances. Um, it kept me coming back every week. It quite, it it ended quite softly, which I, I really liked. It felt quite tender. Um, and I mean, it ended quite hopefully. And you know, that's going to be a terrible thing. Um, I'm glad we're getting a season two, but I do, I feel fairly confident that they're going to call it a day when they need to. <sighs>
0: Because this is what I was going to say to you. I'm I'm interested to see what they do with the second season. There is a second game, so it, yeah. a follow-up does make sense. And I think the first season primarily follows the trajectory of the mm. first game. Mm. So it makes sense. I am moderately concerned they will try and drag it out because I'm not sure it has the longevity needed for no. lots and lots of seasons.
1: And I think they maybe initially weren't even thinking of doing a season two. I think they wanted to keep it fairly... Um, self-contained so I hope they can still stick to the guns with that and also not feel bullied into like it needs more this, it needs more that. I'm just worried that it will yeah, will suddenly lean fully into the the kind of sci-fi monstrousness of it all um, and yeah. lose some of the elements that are really good in the first season
0: Yeah, because I'm sort of not sure how i I would be if it goes in that direction because I think my mm. interest primarily lies with joel and ellie
1: yeah but also if it's more of the same in the set same in the second season that will also get quite boring yeah
0: exactly that's the only feeling really is i'm just slightly apprehensive apprehensive i think that's fair yeah which feels you know uh, walking dead in particular sorry to keep making comparisons but you know recency bias but you know that just got so out of hand yeah that actually i think what it would be great and hbo to their credit are good at sort of not going crazy with number of seasons mm-hmm. um but yeah, the, the apprehension is just there but I, yeah had it had a good time with it um it was just lovely to actually have something get hyped so much and to actually go and experience it and go like yeah okay this is actually good
1: yeah had a good time and good entertainment good times all round. so april i'm so excited to talk about this isn't it good? I'm so excited. We're going to talk about Infinity Pool. I've been waiting a week to talk about it. We saw it at the start of the week and I will give a little intro. Um, uh, oh God, I'm just so excited to talk about it. So Infinity Pool is the third film written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. It follows Antiviral from 2012 and Possessor from 2020, which we talked about before on the podcast when it came out. It stars Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth and Cleopatra Coleman, uh, among others. And a, a, a brief, possibly Rotten Tomatoes based plot synopsis is that while staying at an isolated island resort, James and M are enjoying a perfect vacation of pristine beaches, exceptional staff and soaking up the sun. But guided by the seductive and mysterious Gabby, they venture outside the resort grounds and find themselves in a culture filled with violence hedonism, and untold horror. A tragic accident leaves them facing a zero tolerance policy for crime. Either you'll be executed, or if you're rich enough to afford it, you can watch yourself die instead. Mr. James Foster, you'll have to come with us. Uh, uh, Here, the punishment for any crime committed is death.
0: What, what would you say?
1: for a significant sum. <laughs> we'll build a double to send in for your execution. Cronenberg <sighs> had been working on this film before the release of Possessor. He developed the story from actual experiences he had um, on vacation, which I hope weren't too close to uh, to the plot synopsis there, um, and also a science fiction story about killing clones that he had been writing. He's a busy man. Production began in 2021, and most of the cast joined the film that year. And the filming took place primarily in Croatia, as well as in Hungary. The film was initially given an NC-17 rating in the US, but it's been given an R cut so that it can be shown theatrically. Um, hopefully they will be blessed with an uncut version like us at a later date. The film premiered at Sundance in January and was released in Canada and the US that month, and of course we've only just got it because that's what happens in the UK. It debuted to $2.7 million, finished eighth at the box office and outgrossed the lifetime domestic run of his father's 2022 release, Crimes of the Future, because he is, of course, the son of David Cronenberg. We've talked about Brandon Cronenberg on the podcast before when we reviewed Possessor. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about your relationship with his work?
0: Yes, so I really liked Possessor. I still haven't seen Antiviral for my sins, despite the fact that it has Caleb Landry Jones in it, which... As we know, I'm a big fan of Cain and It's peak Brandon April, Jones. that is, yeah. <laughs> He's just always working with like people that we like. Obviously, uh, in Possessor, it had Christopher Abbott. Always a treat. Um, I'm really fascinated by how Brandon Cronenberg's career is building out, <laughs> particularly given the legacy of his father. Mm. I always feel like we always say that we don't like body horror. And also, we always, we always mention this on the podcast about 15 times, I think. Um I always felt like we don't like body horror, but then I think about it and I absolutely love David Cronenberg. Oh
1: God, yeah. And also when I remember when I did Evolution of Horror and it was the mind and body Mm -hmm. season and I was talking about a razor head and thinking about my relationship to body horror films. Again, I was like, oh, it's not really my thing. And then I thought about pretty much all of the horror films that are my favourites and they're all fucking body horrors. So I don't really know what I'm on about, to be honest. But I guess it's specific iterations of body horror, perhaps.
0: And I um, I think it's impossible as well to, like, unfortunately not view Brandon Cronenberg's work through the prism of his father's, of which, you know, is a slight inevitability and perhaps often does him a bit of a disservice. But it is really interesting to see him creating films and art when his father has... He's a paved the way for a particular type of horror film, mm, mm. if that makes sense. So mm. I was... Yeah, that's sort of where I'm at with with Brandon Cronenberg, really. I, I mean, I just I remember loving Possessor so much. Yes. And um, we I think the version that we saw at London Film Festival in 2020 was an uncut version as well. Because yeah. I know that certain scenes of it were from, removed from it.
1: I love to see someone who creates work that needs an uncut version. Great. And it's funny, isn't it? I mean, we
0: saw the uncut version of infinity pool mm. um, and then i did go back and read about the cuts that had been made to it
1: how often do you get that now you don't get that many like i don't think you cuts. do
0: no it seems to sort of only really affect the horror genre a lot of the time um inevitably perhaps but yeah i just think he's such an interesting filmmaker
1: he is i think my favorite nepo baby
0: well, and it's like an allowable nepo baby i know you shouldn't make gradients of it but i'm fine with him being a nepo totally because totally like...
1: justified it am. I
0: I just love seeing like what the literal child of David Cronenberg is doing.
1: Well, what he's doing is uh he's just being very cool and handsome and clever. So um <laughs> good good for David Cronenberg there. Yeah, he's um as you say he's not this is his third film. He doesn't have a huge filmography. But he, I really love him already. He's just mm. um I have seen Antiviral I love, I love, I love Possessor. That was my favourite film of 2020, I think. His films look insane. He uses great casts um, and he knows how to tell a really distinctive kind of sci-fi horror hybrid story. Possessor was truly unique, I think really does take aim at sort of corporate brutality and sort of those ideas of the self and the boundaries between mind and body and sort of gender fluidity among other things, which, as you say, feels very David Cronenberg, but also feels like quite a feels like quite a Brandon Cronenberg thing. Like you 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 get a lot of these themes in Infinity Pool as well. Um yes. and, and some in Antiviral. It that's a kind of Not dissimilar in terms of sort of capitalism and consumerism as well as sort of fandom. Um, But I think he's, he's really good at making super tight, quite shocking films that are very engrossing to watch. And he's got a really strong storytelling vision. And he's not just a carbon copy of his father, is he? He's he's obviously having a lot of fun with what he does, like the practical effects, the kind of squeamishness, the sort of hallucinatory sort of cinematography. I think he's really talented and I love him. And um, I think we'd get on, really. I think we've got a similar <laughs> wardrobe aesthetic, actually. I think we'd be cool buds. But it's just, I'm just so happy that we got to um, get another film like this out of... Um, him and we got to experience it the way we did so what were your expectations having enjoyed possessor what did you think when you started to hear about infinity pool kind of what it would be about who was starring in it did you yeah how are you feeling
0: i was really looking forward to this for all the reasons we've just discussed really um he always has really great cast and this is no different um Alexander Skarsgård in particular one of our favorites oh yes I saw a lot of post Sundance hype about the film in January you know I was really sad that inevitably and as a result of the pandemic we hadn't had the chance to see Possessor in the cinema Oh no. <laughs> we watched it at home and that you know it's, it still has an incredible impact when you are viewing it in outside of a theatre but it just would have been brilliant to see it in so when it this when Infinity Pool was announced I was just like absolutely elated that we were finally going to get to experience a Brandon Cronenberg film, like in the cinema. Yes. And obviously, we had the great joy of going to London to see a preview of it that was hosted by Evolution of Horror. And that was partly the drive, I think, for both of us, um, which is that we were just so desperate to finally see it.
1: <laughs> yes, I know. We've been talking about it for a while. It's been on my big hype list. I feel the same as you. Big hype, big expectations. Was like, surely Possessor couldn't be topped. Casting absolute weirdos, Mia Goth, Alex Skarsgård. It's just such a great pairing, isn't it? such a good pairing. You just know it's going to really bring the energy, really, and the weirdness. And it was being sort of trailed as... Yeah, violent, sort of sexually depraved, fetishistic, sort of... I just... That was off to a good start already, really. Good buzzwords. Yeah, and we have... As I said, we despite only having two films under his belt, I think we do have already quite a distinct sense of Cronenberg's sort of genre preferences, his sort of keen eye and enjoyment of sort of use of practical effects for kind of trippy camera work, for pushing boundaries. So there was just so much potential here. And I think you never know where you just you know that you're in for a ride and you don't know where the story's going to go. And from the early chatter and the Sundance kind of post-viewing reactions and the trailer, this was clearly going to be a sort of quote-unquote eat the rich movie. And yep. I do think we are at saturation point for this kind of satire, but I did have faith that this cast and crew would attempt something quite different with it. Um, I also liked that it... It was a bit of a writer movie. So I just personally, I deal with a lot of writer egos (laughs) at work and in books, actually, as well. Lots of reflections on writing in literature. But um, it was kind of interesting to see um, Skarsgård's character was sort of being positioned as someone with writer's block, who's, you know, probably, possibly a bit insecure, definitely intriguing. And Mia Goth having a big horror moment just capable of being very unhinged, so willing to... I think both of them, basically, are willing to do anything. Which is
0: the thing, isn't it, right?
1: So when that cast was
0: announced, it was just such a phenomenal pairing because it's like, these people are just, like, so... have such
1: a willingness, like you say, to just, like, do whatever. They will do anything and Cronenberg likes to really push boundaries and that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to something that pushed against boundaries made us uncomfortable told us a story that was a bit different and just looked really fucking cool uh is that too much to ask i don't think so there's only a few (laughs) things so yeah big hype and as you said we we saw this at a preview screening in london at the genesis cinema with evolution of horror and i think that really added to I don't the experience I guess the first experience of having seen this on the big screen. So um do you want to talk a bit about that and also your general reactions to the film?
0: It was just really great to get to see it in an environment with like like-minded people who are all like fairly well prepared for what's going what they're going to encounter on screen I feel like yeah I don't know I, I don't know why the idea of like seeing it with like a bunch of unprepared people or like normal people feels different but like I do feel like it was something quite palpable in the room where we were all like so hyped to be seeing this specific film from this specific filmmaker knowing full well that what we were going to be getting to experience would probably be fucking weird and it was the uncut version Mm. of the film and it came with an intro from brandon cronenberg loved which in itself was a gift it's like the
1: it was enthusiastic but respectful the crowd absolutely like the absolute
0: best case scenario i think enthusiastic but like willing to like not make noise
1: yeah, out. and we had you know we had one person passing out, and I think that's the sign of a good film.
0: It's the uh the t- the Titta effect. Isn't yes. It? It is. So generally speaking, I I did really like it. It's absolutely fucking weird, <laughs> um, in the most Cronenberg way. Like it's very Cronenberg in concept. Yeah. It's much much gorier than I'd expected, mm. but I'd also sort of expected as yes. well. Like I felt myself just being like, oh my. God. God, like having to look away at parts and then going like, I don't know why I'm feeling like this has taken me off guard because I feel fully knew what i was getting when i came into this I think for me is it felt really really kubricky at times actually mm. there's sort of the some of the home invasion stuff all of the playing around with the masks was making me think so, of a couple yeah, of kubrick films absolutely. which i thought was really interesting actually that's not necessarily something i've picked up on a reference point i have picked up on cronenberg's work before no um but there were elements of it that just definitely felt so kubrick for me in a, in a really good way in like a nice homage-y way but i just had a great time of it I, th- I feel like i've thought about it at length like all week yeah i've been trying to i mean it only got a general release here in the uk like you said this friday so i'm not sure who else i know has seen it beyond people i know that were at screenings or had seen it already in mm-hmm. the states but i'm really looking forward to seeing other people's reactions to it um and i i'm quite keen to see it again actually just to sort of see if it's as impactful
1: the second time around but you know it's going to be a marmite film
0: yeah yeah absolutely And i think that's the thing really i'm sort of interested to sort of see how it's received i have read which we'll come on to i have read sort of some criticism around it but i i've thought about it a lot all week and i think that the kind of the nature of the storytelling and the story itself and the performances and all of that working together did just work for me
1: yeah absolutely yeah I think it met my I think it met my expectations in most ways like the look and the feel of it the themes the performances the kind of shock factor as you mentioned um it was funnier than I expected which we had really funny isn't it yeah and not just like oh this is awkward haha like possessor and antiviral not funny films and they're not intended to be funny but no. I think you can't have performances like these in this film without making audiences laugh and there is out of both discomfort and genuine humor so I think it kind of it felt like it leaned into that and had fun with it so it's kind of not necessarily taking itself too seriously and I really enjoyed that I liked that kind of humorous element it made it a good time and stopped it from being too, bleak, I guess.
0: (laughs) Well, the thing that it was making, the humour in it was making me think of, and and we will come on to this, I think, but I was thinking about when we watched Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. And that's that's very funny, but I think that that's very pointedly funny. Yes. As a film, like, it's trying very, very hard to make you laugh at the preposterousness of these people that are in the film, whereas I felt like Infinity Pool wasn't doing that, and that's why the comedy in it worked Mm -hmm. well for me, because it was just like you're just sort of laughing at things that aren't trying too hard to be like super comedic moments they're things that almost penetrate this slight feeling of unease that's throughout
1: yeah it's not like yeah and it's not like haha look at me i'm satire kind of No, yeah definitely but then yeah and i guess that the kind of the humor is balanced with that it is it's funny but it's also taking an axe to the face of the themes that you'd kind of expect so The social inequalities, the consumerism, the excess, human exploitation, ego, and our kind of sense of self and our comprehension of reality were all kind of explored. And I never knew what to expect. I saw things I've not seen before on a cinema screen. Uh, I get to have my wish of having Alexander Skarsgård cloned. Um, (laughs) Maybe I can have one one day i got to see him on a leash that was wonderful i don't think it topped possessor for me and maybe we'll go into this a bit more as to why it doesn't but yeah as i said some someone passed out in the cinema and um we all laughed and shied away and cringed so all my wishes were fulfilled really but we'll dig into a couple of things i think the story that you'd sort of mentioned plot elements and criticism um Let's talk a bit about the story and also the the way the story is structured. Because I think at the beginning, things feel a little more conventional. We're kind of in this fictitious tropical state. It's a popular kind of holiday destination for the disgustingly wealthy you know we're told that sort of outside of the the fences it's sort of you know it's corrupt it's a violent state there's tension between holiday makers and locals um and there's this sort of culture of crime and punishment i think it's kind of a pretty standard setup right through to the car accident actually we've even seen that before you know someone's killed you need to cover it up how they're going to get away with it but then things begin to unravel quite a lot what did you think of the way that the film is structured and also the story that it's trying to tell
0: um i've seen an awful lot of criticism about the kind of vibey nature of this Mm. and the lack of plot but it definitely didn't feel the case for me i disagree quite um,
1: strongly with lack of plot
0: it's interesting isn't it because i do think you're right that up until the car crash everything is fairly self-explanatory mm. in that you have a couple on holiday together who seem slight at odds with one another mm.
1: um
0: you know maybe some a bit of a marital malaise there and then they meet another couple on holiday which, you know, often happens. Swingers holiday, holiday. yes. Get cajoled into hanging out with them, going for (laughs) dinner and then spending the day with them. And it's all fairly, like, self-explanatory. We know that M is the wealthier of the two. James is a writer who hasn't written another book after his debut. Mm. And... I liked in particular as well that the the location that they were in was a construct as well. I liked that it wasn't rooted in a reality. Ie, yeah, it's that not a was real quite country. an interesting
1: choice, wasn't it? Like, it's an entirely real, uh, um, entirely fictitious country, not just a, you know a fake resort,
0: which I think also actually leads it to have a little bit of freedom in mm. allowing to create this slightly strange customs and and also it just plays on this idea of how there are in some locations these resorts for extremely affluent people yeah. but you're not really allowed to leave the resort yeah. because of the inhospitable nature of the sort of visit country that you're visiting mm. Mm which, you know, there's a lot to be said there about the imposing nature of kind of just rocking up and creating this sort of rich
1: person utopia. And then... And yeah, at odds with everyone that's there. But yeah, at least they're not grounding it in somewhere that's real.
0: Absolutely. But I think that... Like, in terms of the story and the way that it progresses, I think you get a good sense of who the characters are. I and mean, then, obviously, that's sort of turned on its head slightly. But I think that that's the point. Like, for me, one of the biggest things that I enjoyed most with it was this this continued blurring between what was real and what perhaps wasn't. Yeah. And James's gradual decline and consumption by those rich people and their games. Like, mm. I think that... That felt fairly, I don't know, not straightforward, but yeah. that, I felt like that was the point. And I th- felt, from my perspective anyway, that was the evolution to the story and that's the way that I experienced it. Like, mm. it didn't feel, like, unclear to me at any point. And the parts of it that felt unclear felt purposefully so because it's about a loss of reality.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I liked the fact that, you, yeah, you as you say, we descend into this kind of violent, hallucinatory world and the rest of the film does feel like, a, a strange hallucination but at the same time James was kind of pretty he was pretty much asleep from the start he kind of when they're yeah. at the resort he's like where are we like he's he lost looks sort of the point yeah he looks pretty lost between the eye, behind the eyes for like the whole thing so is he asleep has he woken up was he ever awake there's kind of like who knows really and the laws of sort of reality do not apply in um this world and we're kind of not given any straight answers but i i thought there was more than enough kind of story arc and more than enough of it made sense to kind of hang the characters and the the cinematography and the sort of general atmosphere and feeling off i really liked the fact that we had this kind of very clear-cut kind of understanding of crime and punishment and what happens in this country when you misbehave and you know what Mm -hmm. what we don't know exactly the process that james under undergoes but we know what has happened to him but we're not given any answers to whether you know whether he's the real james quote-unquote for the whole film whether he's the doppelganger switched out at any point whether he's kind of merely a game to this group of people that are sort of hanging around with him or whether they're taking on, you know, a more profound sort of journey of self-discovery. There's kind of, mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. is very um shape-shifting, so kind of duplicitous, this kind of, you know, the story we're told, the way we see the world um is 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 constantly changing. But yeah, I I'm, I'm baffled that people think there isn't enough plot there because I really did... I really did think there was. And I thought that w- there was very a very unique world that had been crafted by Cronenberg for this that kind of made sense in a horrible way. Um, and it was possible to follow, even if he doesn't contextualise everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am sort of fascinated by like the varied attempts to interpret what's going on. Oh, yeah. Um, because I'm not really sure that's that matters.
1: No, I find that fascinating as well. Yeah, it's why
0: I enjoy his work so often. Is that I think that like it's almost a point. um I think that every individual could have a, a reading on the purpose and what's going on,
1: and I think that that seems purposeful from my yeah, perspective. Yeah, and I kind of get it from both sides because I think that his films like dip his uh, he dips his toe into a variety of themes and sort of reading as as you say which is purposeful I guess there is a slight risk of it feeling like it touches on a few things without going deep into anything in particular but at the mm-hmm. same point I also think that we're so used to being fed films that have a kind of set meaning well, we want the thing. meaning there don't we And maybe people yeah. are just uncomfortable that there's not anything solid that can be taken from a film like this and maybe that's just because of the way that we have been made to view films.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of spoon-feeding involved these days or people want to be spoon-fed mm. or to have someone expressly say like this is what it's about. I thought it was really interesting in the Q&A at our screening um when Mike interviewed Dan Martin who's one of the visual effects mm. creators involved in the film and works really closely with Brandon Cronenberg and I think I think one of the things was that someone did ask him what the film is about. And he obviously made a real went to great lengths to sort of say, you know, like Brandon hates that. Yeah. Like, he hates being asked, like, can you please interpret the film? Mm. And I also think that part of the fun is about like what you pick up on, from what the you narrative. take away
1: from it. Yeah. I'm yeah. Just... So,
0: for example, from my perspective, I think there's so much in it about art and criticism. Mm you know, particularly about the self-destructive nature of being an artist, you know, having to watch you and yourself work, and your work, sorry, die, and go out and be, you know, torn apart. Um, But then I'm sure someone else would take a completely different reading of it. And I think that's sort of the fun, really.
1: Yeah, I really, it's funny. I think if you go into, um, I was thinking a lot about creatives or people who, you know, create art or are very involved, you know, in any type of art will, yeah, I think that's something that, a lot of people will take away as this kind of the film as a sort of representation of James's creative process and kind of there's a there's a a great piece in sci-fi now by um Anton Byte which is talks about how he he read the film as um as an interpretation of creative process and how it's sort of sort of the self examination and the self-criticism and the rigorousness and the duplications and the kind of the sort of testing of sort of boundaries and Mm -hmm. I I think that's absolutely fascinating um and I, I I really sort of Again, personally, as someone who works with writers in particular as well as creators of all kinds, that really struck me, whereas that might not strike someone else in the same way and there's so there's so many things that you can take from it,
0: yeah, that I absolutely I find
1: very satisfying, but at the same time i do i can I totally understand that some people might find it frustrating,
0: yeah, I definitely get it. I mean, I feel like that people have similar reactions to elder Cronenberg's mm. work too. I mean, there was a, a piece in the uh, New York Times that I read by um, Jeanette Cassulis, and there was a quote that I really liked, if only because I'm really interested in the idea that she's touching upon. And she says, surreal... So this is about Infinity Pool, obviously. It says, Surreal, sophisticated, and sometimes sickening, Infinity Pool suggests that while the elder Cronenberg might be fixated on the disintegration of our bodies, his son is more concerned with the d- destruction of our souls. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of just a really interesting sentence yeah. to think about while considering like Brandon Cronenberg's the three the three full lengths mm. that he's made so far, mm. because they do have those similarly occurring themes and actually what Infinity at Pool therefore is about as a whole, if that makes sense. But then I think that from my perspective, that's just something I like doing. I like thinking about what the meaning is. Yeah. Whereas I know for a lot of people, they just like can't be bothered with it. And
1: yeah. and I get that. I get that. Yeah. And it's, it, as you say, it's kind of, it's interesting to see like father and son, both Brandon and David are really interesting. Doppelgangers, for example, yeah. and what they're doing with that doppelgangers sometimes is quite similar, but can also be quite different. And as you'd said, like, If you think of sort of David as looking at the destruction of the body, Brandon, I think, looks at body in a much more fluid way. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of, it's almost like, yeah, a a reinterpretation for our times, as opposed to when his father was making films. And I think that's all very... I don't know. I mean, if you're into it, you're going to be really into it is my reading yes. of that. What did you think about the look and the feel? Because I haven't seen many criticisms of that. <laughs> um, it, it feels quite similar to Possessor in a lot of ways, I think. But yeah, how did you find the 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 literal viewing experience and the atmosphere around it?
0: It was really interesting to think about Infinity Pool in the in the co- sort of context of Possessor in a way because I think they have a lot of similarities mm. visually particularly the kind of like hallucinogenic sequences yeah. um with a lot of what he's sort of doing visually it was reminding me of the parts in Possessor that are sort of similarly are similar from an oh, aesthetic for sure. point of view. Mm. Um I think one of the things that I really like about Brandon Cronenberg is that he is continuing his father's trajectory of like leaning really into a lot of like practical oh, yeah. visual effects,
1: mm. which is a dying breed, I think. Yeah, and that's not age. to say
0: that he doesn't use a, like CGI manipulation or anything like that, but it's just very interesting to sort of see and know as well. And obviously this was helped by the fact that we did have that Q&A with Dan Martin afterwards but it's just really cool to see actually yeah. what, is, what is being done still in film now using the talents of people that are just so good at creating like very very practical
1: effect yeah there's something really nice about that isn't it there's a kind of like it's kind of nostalgic but contemporary and kind of You know, it's it's an unknown, but it's also very tangible. Like the the tangibility of the practical effects. It's kind of really satisfying.
0: It's that tangibility that I kept thinking about is Mm. knowing full well that actually like some of what you're seeing on screen is actually real Mm. in terms of like the the, the physical practical effects. Like they are real things Mm. rather than being something that's come through a computer. I think those sections in particular sort of pair very well. Because obviously you've got this like a very idyllic setting of this particular... Um, location and mm. landscape I mean it looks very similar to I mean obviously they filmed it in did you say Hungary
1: yeah yeah and Croatia yeah
0: and Croatia yeah so it's obviously got this very sort of specific geographic location visual
1: mm. it's like possessor but with more sunshine yeah
0: but then I like the sort of <laughs> slightly kind of blank sanitized nature of what it's like mm. to go to some of these sort of like resorts that are just very white and have you know like very starkly decorated so that then on the flip side when things do get slightly insane it's then what works really well is because you've just been used to seeing like that slight mundanity of the way that like rich people's houses are often decorated there's like a real lack of personality oh, yeah.
1: yeah and there's like not even a ripple in the swimming pool you know no, it's,
0: yeah exactly
1: it is very sterile and very flat Um, and very uniform
0: and there's that juxtaposition between the sterility of that versus like trying to kind of bring in some kind of like wider culture because you're in an on a holiday location Mm. so you're trying to force a bit like there's a part where em i think they talk about how they want to go to this chinese restaurant um, despite the fact that you know it's like bill would have this like authentic dining experience but it's like despite the fact that there are like no chinese people in this location and then you get there and then it's obviously like extremely gaudy looking and then there are people dressed up in like traditional Chinese outfits but they're obviously not Chinese and yeah. it's this weird sort of slightly juxtaposition of like, it's it's just very, very interesting from like a visual point of view and I think that obviously it's it would be remiss to not talk about like the affluence of it all, the money of it all, mm. um, particularly when you are pairing it against the fact that this location that they're in is supposed to be
1: like so at odds with that. Well, yeah, there's like a, there's a literal line, isn't there? Like a literal fence put between these two worlds. And I kind of love the way the, the cinematography at the beginning, we had that really cool, like 360, like spinning kind of inverted shot of the swimming pool. And the kind of, you know, you've got like on the one side, you've got this incredibly rich, perfect, sterile environment. And then, you know, it's kind of gradually turned on its head um the, the cinematography actually from Karim Hussein is i think stunning and then you get that very um as things kind of unravel you've got more and more of the um the very sort of hallucinatory cronenbergian scenes like the the orgy scene in particular that goes on for like that's
0: the thing. that's the section i was thinking of yeah in particular just cuz it's so visually intense and there's so much going on and it's just such a contrast almost to everything that we've seen prior to that
1: yeah absolutely it it definitely feels like things are letting go don't they and I really enjoyed that and I enjoyed watching that in the cinema and it reminded me of sitting and watching um not the same at all but you know when we sat and we went to the cinema and we saw Ben Wheatley's Into the Earth and there's some kind of trippy scenes in that and I sat there and was like this just doesn't work for me like mm-hmm. in Ben Wheatley's yeah. film, unfortunately, it just I feel like I'm watching someone playing around with like special effects yeah. on Adobe. Whereas here, I felt like it was like it absolutely made sense. I thought it, it worked really well. I didn't f- I didn't personally feel like it was overutilized. No, I didn't.
0: It was very sparing with its delivery. It worked
1: really well for me. And it f- I, I, I personally felt like, ah oh, yeah, this is someone who knows what the fuck they're doing with this. Whereas sometimes it can feel quite shoehorned in, like here's a really trippy, you know. What I mean, it just yes, felt very yeah. slick. Well, this is yeah. the,
0: this is the thing. This is why I was sort of when when I discussed earlier the the sort of gore element of it. That actually, I think that like it didn't feel like it felt gratuitous because it was like very over the top. But I feel like it was delivered with like quite sparingly.
1: There's not a lot. It's not as violent... It's a film that's very violent, but actually it's not frequently very violent.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm getting at, yeah.
1: In the same way that it's like, I would be like, oh yeah, there's loads of sex in this film. There's really not. There's really not. Oh, there's loads of penises in this film. It's actually not. No. <laughs> but you kind of come away from it thinking there is because the moments you have are so excessive. Well this
0: is a the thing, they're so full on, aren't they, that I think actually yeah. you then you're sort of led to believe that it is has such a level of intensity that I'm not entirely sure is there consistently throughout.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of experiencing it without seeing it all the time. Um let's talk about the performances um as well, because we've got some it's a very it's a very small cast of characters, really, but some of them in particular are doing a lot. So what did you what did you think of the performances in this?
0: It's a really small cast and you can absolutely tell that accordingly it was it's a covid film. Yes. You know, like filmed during 2021, so it's like inevitably a limited cast uh because of covid, but then I think that works within the context of the setup for the mm-hmm. film. The
1: Last of Us was covid TV as well. Yes, so.
0: yeah. Um I am so Fascinated with the way that Alexander Skarsgård's career is progressing, he's becoming such a physical actor. I'm thinking of the Mm -hmm. things in particular that we've seen him in of late, The Northman. Obviously, he's just got such like a a looming presence, but at the same time, like in this film in particular, like he's so like sad and drained, pathetic, and emotionally vacant and pathetic. So. I think he is brilliant in this. I am amazed by how much I've grown to absolutely adore Mia Goth. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's just It can go either
1: way, I feel, can't it? Yes,
0: absolutely. I think that she's just evolving. Well, she's just becoming known now for having, like, such unhinged performances, but not in unhinged in, like, a I'm going all out crazy about shit constantly all the time. But she just manages to switch and just portray someone that is just very full-on.
1: Yeah, she's coming, becoming a bit of a horror queen, isn't she? She's in Pearl at the same time. and
0: I also can't believe that she was pregnant during the filming of this oh, film
1: Literally, well. ha- I mean, they did a really good job of hiding that. They did a really good no job, no didn't idea. they?
0: That was a little tidbit that came out of... Um the Q&A that we had after our screening was the Mm. fact that they had to use a lot of body doubles. So for anyone that is thinking that, uh, particularly in the orgy scene, that you are getting some full frontal Mia Goth. Yeah, sorry, you're you're not getting
1: any nude Mia. I bet. I know a lot of of people are going to be disappointed by that. I've seen um...
0: a lot of chatter about that in particular, actually. So I do (laughs) sort of feel like I should, we should do our uh, civic duty to say that that's very much a body double, um, not Mia Goth.
1: Sorry. Um, At the same time, though, you would not, um, you would not be surprised if some of those scenes were act- were actually yes, acted well, yeah, by Mia and yeah. Alex like for both of them because they're just a abs- perfect marriage of weirdos.
0: I think that's the thing, isn't it? They're just two like weirdo performers now. And I think they are just brilliant in this. Like so yeah, so really, brilliant. Yeah,
1: really really interesting combination um and I think there's there's like a side of um Mia's performance as Gabby that we we are I, I mean I guess coincidentally seeing sort of similar in Pearl as well that kind of unhingedness for lack of a better word but she's also like she's like very magnetic weirdly sexy yes absolutely hilarious and quite scary as a character Gabby's just very unreadable actually it's very hard to know apart from when you can definitely see across her face that she wants to fuck James, like, on the table right there. <laughs> Apart from that, she's quite hard to interpret and to know what she's going to do next. And it's a great role for Mia. And then with Alex Skarsgård, as you say, for the most part, it's a very different role to the Northmen. Um, but it is very physical. And he's this complete wet blanket writer. He's kind of embarrassed, sort of emasculated by his wife. I mean, it's. I think it's very... It should be very hard to believe that someone who looks and sounds like Alex Skarsgård could be puny or desperate for adoration. That's what
0: I mean about just like the way that he is evolving as an actor. Because I think you yeah. just have this notion that he, because he's so, I think a lot of it's tied to his he's height tall and actually. Gorgeous. He's gorgeous. Yeah. Tall and Swedish and handsome. But actually, yeah. he just has this inherent sadness about him that I think is manipulated so well in this.
1: Yeah. They've made him remarkably unappealing in this film. <laughs> yeah. And I'm saying that as someone who is extremely hot for him, but he, he is quite unappealing in this. He really is. And I could not fault his performance for that. And he does, I mean, he does do a very good job of doing vacant as well. He's mm. he's good at that kind of coldness. Yeah. Um. But then he begins to also, James, you know, embraces his primal inspiration dinks and he goes from someone who's quite repressed to kind of pretty feral which felt like it tapped more into Viking Alex yes but was somehow embarrassing at the same time instead of powerful it just there is something really embarrassing about him here isn't there it's so embarrassing and the way he's taken in by Gabby and her compliments I was honestly.
0: But that for me like worked so well because you know that there is a very specific brand of man that like literally someone would only have to flutter their eyes at him and they would be putty in his hands and I think that's why this works so successfully.
1: Yeah I thought they were great together I had almost zero connection to the other characters though and I don't know whether this is deliberate or whether they're underutilised. I think it's probably the former but it, it's kind of like they are very deliberately, that group of people in particular, the kind of friends of Gabby, we kind of don't get much from them. They're just like generic rich people. Well, they're just sort of there, aren't they? It could be deliberate. It could not. It's. it's I'm not sure about that one. Um, I don't think it took anything away from me, but... No, yeah. but then
0: I think they're just sort of there to sort of almost facilitate James's descent, aren't they?
1: On on the 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 topic of rich people, actually, <laughs> um, this is one in a long line of eat the rich films. We've had a kind of steady stream since about 2019. We had we had a really big year in 2019 of kind of like Knives Out, Ready or Not, Parasite, Bakurao, like, and then it feels like we're having another moment now in sort of 22, 23 with sort of Triangle of Sadness and the Menu and the White Lotus and Succession. Why do you think we're having a moment with these films?
0: (laughs) Well, rich people are famously very awful. Yeah, they are. There's an awful lot of disparity now, I think, between the wealthy and everyone Mm. else. I feel like, obviously, because of capitalism. Um, And also just the level of entitlement that I think that those with money do carry with them, the carelessness that they have, their need to Mm. almost live without consequence. I think that Mm. perhaps the pandemic in particular held a real mirror up to a lot of that we're above mm. the law behavior. I think mm. if I think about things like Triangle of Sadness in particular, alongside Infinity Pool, I think there is a lot of that it made me think about how, you know, like we were saying about at the top of the episode during the pandemic, when we were all just stuck at home, not doing anything, there was a lot of discussion online about the fact that like celebrities in particular were just like, Going off on holiday or mm. on yachts chartered for like international waters, but they're all staffed that so there are people there putting their lives at risk for the benefit of like rich persons' enjoyment. So I think that there is a bit of a resurgence or ongoing, you know, surge in films that focus on things like that for those reasons because I think there is an awful lot of dissatisfaction about the ability for those with money to just do what they fucking want
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely
0: totally agree and i think some of them work better than others obviously we've spoken at length about white lotus and what we enjoy about it and and succession as well we briefly touched on triangle of sadness when we did our 2022 roundup we didn't talk about the menu
1: we did not like the menu i didn't
0: like the menu i think the menu thinks it's cleverer than it is and i think is a, a definite example of where this particular genre of eat the rich doesn't work
1: yes i think we're coming to an end we are definitely coming well i hope we're coming to I the end i sort of
0: don't need to see any more of it you know
1: no um i like you mentioned the white lotus i think there's some interesting parallels between this film and is. white lotus it feels quite deliberate which is not my point actually they mentioned that on um i think maybe becky dark mentioned that on evolution of horror but it, it's been talked about a lot but especially when they're um when you've got the resort guests at the beginning and they're watching the kind of uh the native peoples perform yep. and James is just kind of rudely ignoring it and picking up breakfast and you can buy the masks at the gift shop and it feels very, very white lotus to Well it's like the commodification
0: of yeah, like a culture, absolutely. isn't it? Hmm.
1: Do you think is it a I don't know, is it a little bit ironic that we've got a real taste for these films at the moment? maybe not this film because this is a smaller budget film, although, you know, it's doing very well, but I think Hollywood's probably noticed a trend as well. And is it's a moment and it will be a good moment for Hollywood to tap into, you know, um, they're going to part of that machine is going to be seeing that actually there's a, there's a, there's a taste for these kinds of films at the moment. Is it kind of a bit, is it a bit ironic that films criticizing kind of inherited wealth and income and wealth inequality, um, are being pumped out of Hollywood quite a lot.
0: Um I feel like we briefly talked about this but again when we did Triangle of Sadness but it's something Mm. that often gets thrown at the work of Ruben Osterland in particular Mm -hmm. who's the director of that film and the director of things like The Square as well um in that there's a like a real irony when like Mm. Hollywood and the affluent jump on these films that are particularly critical of them but I think that there's Mm. like perhaps this knowingness Of like championing things that basically say like, oh, aren't we awful in a way to somehow perhaps make it less bad? Do you know what I mean? Where it's just like, oh, we're all awful, but it's like fine because we're aware of the fact like perhaps it's this strange self-awareness. Um, Or perhaps there is, in fact, on the flip side, completely no awareness that actually it's deeply ironic. Could be either. I think it
1: could be either. Could go either way, couldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. And is it giving us, is it giving audiences an opportunity to feel that satisfaction of watching rich people get fucked over? But actually, in reality, you know, it's, it's almost like we're getting the catharsis, but the system knows that by giving us catharsis this way, maybe we won't set actual fires. I don't know. Maybe it's I'm reading too much into that. But basically, I think we need to start some fires. In it real is life.
0: interesting, isn't it? That I feel like there is continually art that's about the fact that like rich people constantly get away with things when we know from the real world that rich people constantly get away from things. Yeah. Like the, the premise of this film, that like rich people can act without consequence and then get arrested and then can just buy their way out it's not yeah. unheard of, is it? Like, it's not like no. it's something that's not, is far- far-fetched at all. No,
1: exactly. Exactly. It's um, fascinating. I wonder, I wonder whether we're reaching the end now of... Um, I sort of want to see less of... of it. Yes. I th- but I do think this is, a, a. I mean, I think it's a really good film. Cool. So I will say it's an, a, a good addition to that. But it felt, it, it kind of felt different enough to the others that we've seen. Of the recent
0: spate of them, I feel like it's itself. my preference.
1: Yeah, it's strong, right? Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about?
0: Um, I The only other thing I just wanted to touch upon briefly was the, the Tim Hecker score. I hadn't realised that Tim Hecker yes. is a really great sound artist and composer, was doing the music for this. Um, so mm-hmm. I was really pleased to see that he was the person responsible for the brilliant music. I also really loved the credits, the opening credits in this, um, which obviously ha- then having seen the film make perfect sense. I'm trying to remember, what were the credits? So it's like um it was very bright screens different colors different fonts and then the actors names and those involved in the film were repeated over Mm. and over again it was just a really Mm. simple kind of like stylistic choice there's a lot to be read in there about the fact that it's not only the repetition of name i.e clones and clones and clones and clones but there's the font change as well so everything's yeah. different and everything's
1: slightly different
0: yeah i just really liked it
1: i did love that score as well it's, it's kind so of so good i listened to the jim williams score for possessor a lot mm-hmm. um after we'd seen the film and i feel like i will do the same with this tim hecker score i had the hecker score kind
0: of, on this week i just yeah, yeah it's it's really so great. it has
1: that kind of tilting dark otherworldly atmosphere it's brilliant it's so unsettling in like the most brilliant way cool well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Uh, well, actually, to end, did you? how would you rank this next to Possessor? Do you have a preference?
0: Um, I feel like I liked Possessor a lot more. I feel like mm-hmm. Possessor felt more original in plot narrative yeah. structure a little bit. I think a lot about Possessor and the things that it was playing around with frequently. For sure. So I definitely don't think that it's as good as that. But it's just you know, like we were saying, it's just brilliant to see the evolution of Brandon Cronenberg's career. And I do think he's mm-hmm. such an interesting filmmaker, one that I do understand why his stuff might not work for some people. But for me, I just find him so incredibly interesting that I'm always just intrigued to see what he does.
1: Yeah, I'm three of three. He's done that hat trick so far. I'm so pleased. Um I'm with you. I think Possessor is still his best. But I do really like the performances in this film in particular and all three of his films so far have just like looked phenomenal as well.
0: I think he's a director that knows how to get a lot out of his cast and that's why I'm so interested to see what he does going forward. So that's us done. You can find us on Twitter, we're at Thirst and Instagram at Pod, or you can drop us an email on thethirstpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of both The Last of Us and Infinity Pool if you do get the chance to see it. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you like to listen and give us a review because it helps people to locate us with ease. We'll share some links in the show notes and anything else will get posted on our blog, thethirstpod.wordpress.com or on Twitter as well. Thanks very much.
1: Goodbye.